So, uh, pleasure to be here. My first time, embarrassingly, despite nearly 50 years now in higher education, to be here with you. Um, as you will know, I was asked by the government to uh, conduct a review of STEM degrees, and I want to talk about that, its results, findings, if you like, and also, because of the way your event is structured, talk a little bit about my own personal experience of um, two particular topics in STEM where I know something. Um, so let me start with the origins of this review. And of course, when I say the government here, I mean the coalition government. So this is three governments ago now. Um, things move quickly <coughs> sometimes. Um, that government was worried about employment. And I stress, I do understand the difference between employment and employability, and it's conceivable that the government does, but not obvious. Uh, certainly at the time, I don't think they did. But having looked and developed a science and innovation strategy, they were worried uh, by one particular discipline about the rate of employment of graduates, uh, and that led them to worry about whether there's a problem elsewhere. The one discipline where they acutely worried was computer <coughs> science, where something like 16 to 19 percent of all graduates were unemployed six months after they graduated across the whole HE spectrum, and that despite an enormous both stated and real demand for people in that area. So, to the government, that was a reasonable concern, and I think you'd have to agree with them. Um, but having worried about that, they then thought and asked Nigel Shadbolt, who was then at Southampton, to look at that. They asked me whether I could look at all the other STEM disciplines, which is an enormous range of things, um, to decide whether there was any problem anywhere else. You may wonder why they asked me. Well, I'd done two previous reviews for the government, Labour government in that case, uh, one on physics and one on the costs of research in higher education, which had lost me almost all the friends I might have pretended <laughs> I had. So I had nothing uh, to lose, no further friends to lose in taking it on. Hence, they chose me. Um, we were supposed to look at two things, employability of graduates and accreditation by professional bodies. And in some areas that means more than it means in some others, uh, as you'll see. Um, and they wanted me to identify the disciplines that were a problem. Uh, possible reasons for that, and also the extent to which accreditation did or did not influence this. Um, that means trying to establish a causal connection without necessarily any evidence to back it up. So, uh, not simple. So I wasn't supposed to find solutions, which was helpful, but of course it revealed um, other problems other than simply uh, employment problems. So, being a scientist, of course, the way I chose to do this uh, was to try and get as much evidence as I could. Now, the evidence is not wonderful about employability, because, of course, I find that rather difficult to measure. But you can measure employment, and employment is measured, it is said, by the HESA statistics accumulating, first of all, unemployment rate, Secondly, proportion of graduates who graduate in a particular year in non-graduate roles, defined by another set of 
criteria elsewhere in the space and also the proportion of graduates uh, earning low salaries defined as less than 20,000 here. If you want to know why that number it's connected to employment uh, of overseas students which need to be above that uh, to have certain rights now. Um, for me, and I expect for most of higher education, relying on those statistics alone was not enough because most universities would believe those statistics are pretty flaky. You shouldn't measure things after six months. Of course, they also measure after three and a half years. But nevertheless, it's reasonable to be skeptical about statistics. So we also designed uh, a survey of all the professional bodies of industry and of the HE sector. Uh, and we had something like 500 responses to that survey. So reasonable set of responses distributed across the STEM disciplines. Um, and finally, when we identified where we should worry the most, we ran focus groups to talk to people in those disciplines from all those sectors as well. Um, I had an advisory group helping me and I tried as, wide, well, as much as I could to get a wide involvement by industry. Nothing was so difficult as to get CBI involved in this. It was almost impossible. It turned up to one meeting and one meeting only, despite incessant whinging about the quality, they say, of graduates. Uh, it took pretty high level influence from ministers to get anybody to turn up. That's a pretty sad indictment of their real feeling about this, I think. I don't quite know what that was about, except I can say one thing. We were focused on disciplines, and CBI say, and I think there's some evidence for this, in most cases, they are not interested in the discipline that somebody has studied. They just want a graduate who can do the job they want to do. What discipline they come from is a secondary concern, in many cases. There are, of course, exceptions to that. I should also say at this point, medicine and allied professions to the health uh, business are excluded from this. Uh, that's, I think, reasonably self-evident. It's the one area where there is manpower <coughs> planning, at least roughly. I wouldn't say it's perfect there, but at least there's some. So that's the basis of it. The sort of data that we have available you'll be familiar with, I expect. This shows you, for example, a graph as a function of time of the unemployment rates six months after graduating. And you see the top line in brown is computer science, the highest unemployment rate across many years. It also persists if you look at three and a half years out. It's not as high as this, but it is quite high. Um, you also see areas such as biological sciences with a uniformly high area, the physical sciences have a reasonable area, but also mass communications and documentation, which is classed as a science in this context, a STEM subject, also has a high unemployment area. Now, some of these subjects, uh, especially subsets of these subjects, you might wonder why they're classed as STEM. But in fact, the reason is, in universities, you used to get more support from the funding council for courses that were counted as STEM than for those that weren't. So people put a tremendous effort into having a lot of STEM courses, never mind how much science they really contained. And I'll come back to an example of that, which I believe is a serious problem.
Um, we also have, for example, these are only examples of the data, the proportion of, of graduates uh, who are unemployed by entry qualification. Uh, and you see, by and large, the higher the qualifications, the better uh, the employment rate at exit. We should, I think, be slightly gratified by that. Um, but you see there are exceptions. The red lines here, always the highest, are computer science in every single case. Uh, and it, we compare here STEM and non-STEM. And the interesting difference is, despite the stated um, demand for STEM graduates, is much, not much different as an employment rate or unemployment rate the non-STEM graduates. Uh, and then you can look at it by institution. Of course, I suppress all names of institutions here and in the report. Um, but, for example, up here we have mathematical sciences. And you notice there are something like nine institutions with 10% uh, unemployment rates and even four or five in the 15 to 17 percent unemployment rate. So it matters about the institution. Um, it equally well, if you look at biological sciences, you see there is significantly higher unemployment rate in biological sciences. And when you go out here to 18 percent or so unemployment, you still have six institutions and a few even with 20 percent unemployment. So this is dependent on the institution. So these statistics gave us our first cut, a suggestion of what, what disciplines to worry about. Uh, so when we looked at them, and these colours here are what the, um, what was Biz, now Bayes, thinks is of uh, a warning colour here in supposedly yellow, and red is danger. So let's take biological sciences. You see you have above average unemployment for high tariff high A-level point score institutions. So if you do biological sciences in a high-level institution, you're still slightly more than average uh, to be unemployed. But a very high proportion in non-graduate roles for all institutions. So this means 40% of all biological sciences graduates are, are employed in non-graduate roles and incidentally, but probably correlated, in low pay roles six months after graduation and also a significant number nearly 35 percent even three and a half years after graduation so that's a significant fact um, by significant I mean statistically significant uh, rather than just my view um, you see some subjects like chemistry are a little bit above here's the computer science case, very high unemployment, but note a very big difference between low and high tariff institutions, with the low tariff institutions with a significantly higher unemployment rate. Not universally, but it's true, it is in general. Then you look at this group of subjects, uh, earth, marine and environmental sciences, and you see uh, above average unemployment for some institutions, high proportion again in non-graduate roles even, uh, and low salaries, even after three and a half years. Uh, the other subject where I pretended to be a chemical engineer, despite the fact I was trained as a physicist, an enormous high unemployment rate, 
despite the fact they are the highest paid graduates, other than medics, in the entire system. So that's old. Um, engineering, by and large, for most cases, is pretty good. But there are high proportions in non-graduate jobs in low-tariff institutions. Uh, mathematics, interestingly, the uh, non-graduate uh, employment is usually in high-tariff institutions, which is interesting. Uh, and then you have uh, pharmacology, which is not too bad, except the pay is rather low. But that's to be understood because that includes pharmacy and they have a training course immediately after they graduate, hence low salaries. Afterwards it goes up, after a year it goes up. Uh, and then physics, another subject I'll talk about later, has um, pretty good employment but it is slightly above average, which is a bit odd given the demand for the subject and the graduates. I just want to break down engineering a little bit to illustrate the nature of this uh, problem, some specific engineering subjects have a problem. Uh, engineering design is really quite uh, high unemployment rates. Uh, bioengineering has very high unemployment rates for medium tariff institutions. Let me tell you about why that is. This is a rather new engineering discipline. It features therefore in providing let's say prostheses for uh, the medical fraternity, among other things, instrumentation for medicine as well. Almost all those companies are small companies, SMEs, therefore they find it rather difficult uh, to recruit people, uh, and get them to stay, and most of them want to employ people who have been trained beyond undergraduate level. So in a nascent discipline, which this is, you find that you have to do another qualification after um, an undergraduate degree in order to get employment. Uh, aerospace engineering is interesting. This is something that then uh, government thought was one of our activities of special expertise. So why do we have a problem? And the answer is we don't have any kind of problem in aeronautical engineering, but a huge problem in this one, largely because it's only taught in a few places where the title remains aerospace engineering. Many of you might recall that the funding council used to reward uh, in days of limited student numbers. Um, there was a <laughs> suggestion that you could get many more students into your system if you invented new degree titles. This was one such invention and it's left over. It's very narrow subject for which there's almost no employment market. It used to be an uh, apprenticeship <coughs> scheme. It became a degree. Now, those who study it can't get employment. Uh, similarly with this. This goes all the way from real engineering to media studies. Uh, for the same science-related reason. Uh, at one end, therefore, it's accredited. And at the other end, nobody will accredit it. So it's a problem. And systems engineering, similarly, a title dreamt up in this same period of think of more degree titles and you get more students. Um, so, from that, three subjects stood out. Biological sciences, this is a grouping of subjects. Uh, earth, marine and environmental sciences, 
And then one which wasn't on that last uh, chart is agriculture, animal science and food. They're all, for one reason or another, of concern. In the survey we conducted, fortunately, the same three topics came to the top of the list of what people mentioned. Whether that was HE or industry, everybody thought those same three subjects had a problem with employment. In the survey, we also asked questions around what students didn't have. And they spoke, everybody responded, this is the order of priority really, but certainly these five or six areas, five areas, were always there. I put a lot of effort in understanding what industry meant by that phrase, work readiness. Um, basically they meant, do students understand they need to get up in the morning, get to work by nine, stay all day, look smart, talk sensibly to clients, <coughs> and they found, by and large, they don't have any of those characteristics. Uh, and you can see why, because their whole student experience is not connected to that, they would argue. They don't think they have enough commercial awareness. They certainly don't think most of them have enough work experience. Uh, and <coughs> most people think there aren't enough engagement between industry and the students and careers and very few industrial opportunities and finally and particularly in some areas mathematical statistical skills are completely lacking so if I just go back to the biological sciences that's the key problem in biological sciences most people who do that at university and I think it's fair to say most people are avoiding mathematics because they are doing A-levels in other subjects and they're choosing to avoid mathematics. It's possible to do that and enter an undergraduate program. If you do that and you graduate with no enhancement of your mathematics beyond the age of 15, you are literally unemployable by an industry where statistics is now everything. So the pharmaceutical industry would not take such a graduate onto a graduate program. So that tells you clearly what it is. The extreme example of this, and that's why I mentioned biological sciences, is forensic science. The laboratory of the government chemist, uh, this was in the time when uh, the forensic service was uh, government run, said they would not employ people from most forensic sciences courses in the country because there's no science in them, or inadequate science. Too much time is spent playing the role of a detective standing around a body. Not enough on the real science, which is of course mainly chemistry and some physics. And of course mathematics. So that's biological sciences. Um, so of course these three areas therefore, given the coincidence between our two sets of data, one qualitative, one quantitative, we ran focus groups. We also wrote, in all the other areas I mentioned with a problem, we wrote to the professional bodies uh, to uh, and see whether they thought we had identified the correct problems. So I just want to give you an example of what came out of the focus groups. There was agreement there's a real problem for biological sciences in employment, possibly employability too. 
but they pointed out there's a huge array of things included in this basket of biological sciences. At one end, you've got biochemistry, which probably would have an enormous amount of uh, science and mathematics in it. At the other end, you've got forensic science that would have essentially no, uh, very little science. Um, the industry interaction with biological sciences is much weaker than in the physical sciences. It's very poor indeed, for the most part. They identified a number of skills gaps. First of all, practical skills. Universities, by and large, can't afford the equipment for undergraduate use that industry uses routinely. So students have seldom ever seen it. Um, teamwork in biological science is much less common than, for example, in engineering. Uh, and as I said, mathematics and its applications in the real world is few. And rather little work experience, at least organized work experience by the institutions. And then importantly for what I was doing, the accreditation system is driven now by a thing called the Royal Society for Biology, which didn't exist three years ago. There were several things like the Society of Botany, Society of Zoology and so on, very small. Uh, and they have just come together to start accrediting courses. So the accreditation regime, I think even the society would admit, is has been weak and its impact is not yet certain. So that's an example of the sort of thing we've discovered. So what do we find? Um, first of all, these three areas are problems, so we've recommended they look be looked at in detail by the institutions involved in those things. Um, I could give you a couple of illustrations. The problem here, at least in non-graduate jobs, is a lot of these people are motivated by doing good for the world. That means mainly working for uh, non-departmental public bodies or uh, NGOs. You don't get paid very well. In fact, you might even not get paid at all, uh, and you still do it. So that's not surprising, <laughs> pay is low. Um, but even so, mathematics is a problem because geology, which features in a couple of these things, <coughs> is also one of those disciplines where people are trying to avoid mathematics at school. Uh, and of course then, don't know enough. Uh, we've recommended these three other areas, about which I won't say very much, be looked at by the uh, groups interested. And the other area is that there should be an improvement in the data, particularly on the supply side, i.e. from industry. Uh, sorry, on the demand side uh, of industry. Um, but the government anyway is planning to follow graduates more detail now through studying the taxation regime. So they're using HMRC to follow students for a considerable period of time. So there will be more data. Um, I think these are more in the employability uh, category. Uh, one of the things I will observe is, having been in the game a rather long time, uh, soft skills used to mean project work, teamwork, presentation skills. They're all fine now. Universities have done a very good job at fixing those. It's this problem about resilience of people. Do they understand, you know, you need to get in to work all day? By and large, they don't. Um, so that's a rather simple thing to put right, but I suggest a university is a very bad place to try and put it right. <laughs> the academic staff are by and large not good examples of this. 
I reveal myself as a vice chancellor at that point. Um, I think careers advice also needs oops, sorry, uh, needs improvement. Not everywhere, but it's very variable. And the point about it is, students have to engage with their career day one. A career doesn't matter what it is, but the notion they will have one. Most students don't until some time after they've taken a final examination, in my view. Uh, and therefore, you need to force them to do that. And they, under the new regime, will have to take some responsibility for doing that. I think that <coughs> would perhaps be a uh, discussion topic. And then, much more work experience. Any work experience is said by industry to be good. Even a day stacking shelves in a supermarket. Anything at all is good. The longer it is, the better. So the employment statistics for people who do a year out in industry, whatever their discipline, are very much better than those who don't. Um, but that's extreme and not possible for all. Uh, uh, the other thing, and the most I can say about accreditation is, where it is strong, i.e. engineering, employability and employment are better. I do not draw the conclusion they're connected, I would suggest they probably are, but I can't go any further than that. Um, Nigel Shadbolt doing the Computer Science Review, almost the same set of observations, completely independently. At least his group was completely independent, even if I was talking to him. Um, I want to emphasize this little piece, because, um, first of all, uh, as I'll say a bit later on as well, I think universities can't just be about the employment of graduates. If that's all they're about, we might as well all give up. Because there has to be an element of simply educating them. And in my view, um, one of the strongest things about universities is educating people for life. They will work for 50 years, those who graduate in 2017. Right? In my 50 years of working lifetime, We've gone from no computers to ubiquitous information all over the place. This has changed everything. Jobs that did exist don't exist anymore and will never exist again. That's going to happen. People need to reinvent themselves as the world changes. This is therefore about education and not about training. And that's the clue to the computer science problem. In computer science, Many institutions teach a language so people can program. By the time they graduate, three years after they started, that's disappeared off the face of the earth. Nobody, any, nobody even recognised that anymore. So it's hopeless to do that kind of thing that suits today's world. Hopeless. It won't suit the graduates for life. And that's a real problem. And I think that's the key uh, about computer science. Now, my own experience um, is in two fields. The first one is engineering, where I spent 30 years at Imperial College. And the key thing about engineering education is people expect to get employed the other side of it. The accreditation process may not be perfect, but it's extremely strong. Industry is very much engaged. The Departments, by and large, pay very great attention to the undergraduate <coughs> programme. 
particularly how you teach as much as what you teach. There's an enormous amount of small group, and I stress the word here, learning, not teaching. Um, a very great industrial involvement in a whole bunch of ways. As I said, industrial placement is quite common. Very common are industrially posed projects that aren't invented by the academic community. And the industrial staff are often engaged in many aspects. For example, the Royal Academy of Engineering runs a visiting professors scheme that pays people in industry to go into a university as a professor and teach, participate in projects. Very important part is that a lot of it is project-based, which is continually assessed. All the time you're being assessed as a student. That's already an indicator of employment. And team projects are the norm, not the exception. All the time. Different sized teams. Um, leadership of those teams matters. In large projects, they're supposed to behave as if they're in a business. So in my own department, which is chemical engineering at Imperial, 12 students would be in a project. Their project was to design a complete chemical plant to produce some product, often a polymer, but not necessarily from oil. They had to do the whole thing in 12 weeks. They had to elect their own leader. The academic staff were consultants. They were only available certain times of the day and not available at all other times of the day. This focuses the mind of the students on being there when the staff are there, not when they want to be there. Any presentation was made as if it was to clients. Sometimes industrial people would be brought in and you have to convince them. And often the students were asked to mark each other's work. Of course, that generates an interesting set of dynamics in itself, but nevertheless, <coughs> a real responsibility for the students. So that's the plus about engineering. Um, the negative is, uh, if you're not careful and you run a general engineering course, as several places do, then you get accredited by goodness knows how many different bodies. That's a bit of a nuisance. There's an attempt at the moment to fix that. I think it'll be doomed because of um, pride. But uh, worth trying, should be done. Um, people who are trained in one engineering discipline will often find employment in a whole host of different areas. So actually where they go varies a lot. It's now true that very few staff have industrial experience. Why is that? Because they don't fulfill the criteria for the research assessment processes. No good taking somebody from industry with two publications. This is a bad mark. So that is against recruiting industrial staff. Um, staff don't like small group learning. You find illustrious professors of uh, engineering exposed to not knowing the answer a student asks if it's in a group like this. They don't like that, so they don't like to do it. So it makes staff not confident. All the research in engineering is right at the periphery of the subject. Chemical engineering now in Imperial College is a lot about the body as a uh, chemical engineering plant, which of course it is, uh, but that's not what undergraduates think they're come for or indeed could contribute to. So we're recruiting staff right on the edge of the subject. The heartland, is there anybody left to teach it? Despite the fact it's important. I imagine that's the same in other areas. Problem-based learning increases this kind of pressure on staff and I would add that now we now have a focus on employment in the latest uh, higher education bill 
there will be a problem for staff who are now adding to the, uh, by the way, you should form a spin-out company, you should teach excellently, you should do the world's best research, and by the way, you now make sure your students can be employed. I suggest this is a big focus uh, on staff, it's a bit difficult. Um, let me go to physics. Here, accreditation is only moderately strong. Everything is brought together now by astronomy and particle physics. The Large Hadron Collider, all these wonderful things that are being done uh, with uh, landing spaceships on um, asteroids and so on. <coughs> so there's a huge popular perception of the subject which is about that, whereas the reality of course is that doesn't generate very much employment. So strong emphasis on the fundamentals. Uh, everything is about research in physics departments. The undergraduate course is much a second thought. Um, I come from this physics network that Richard helped uh, Hefke set up a long time ago. We now have expanded to nine universities. We have run an employment placement scheme for students in the summer. It's very unusual in physics to do this. Um, and Veronica, who's here with me, comes from that. And it has been remarkably successful. And you can see already that the students who go through that placement have better employment prospects than those who don't. But of course, they have a lot of technical skills, so they're still in demand. The negative is the accreditation process, which is the Institute of Physics, struggles with the concept of applied physics. It's not fundamental enough. Um, employment and employability were given pretty little attention. There's very little industrial involvement for most students. Essentially no industrial staff in the course at all. Uh, most staff in a physics department have not even heard of industry, never mind been in it. Um, most of the relevant bits of physics that you might think are taught are now actually conducted in engineering departments. If you think of the electronics industry, it's largely electrical engineering departments doing it now, not physics departments. <coughs> uh, small group projects only, seldom in large teams. And employment or employability is always bolted on. The students are told, we're now going to talk about your employment. And they resent that, and will resent it more, I think, when they're paying perhaps bigger fees. That's not the way to do it, in contrast with what I said about engineering. So these two examples uh, from my own experience, and we're going to hear uh, later on from other disciplines, I'll illustrate the difference about embedding it as a natural part of the course so they don't even notice and thus absorb it in the same way they absorb everything else or bolt it on and tell them now you're going to be done good. This, my experience says, doesn't usually work. People don't like to be done good to. Students have a responsibility in this. I think many students feel they ought to be taught when they come to university. The real point is they ought to learn. And learning may not involve all that much teaching, even in STEM. Possible to get all the information from STEM from the web. You don't need anybody to tell you that. Understanding it is a different problem. But the information is there. So actually, the teaching methodology in science, I think, needs to be quite different than 
how it has been and is, is changing to be fair I should stop there and I'm happy to entertain any questions whatsoever now or later